The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. When a fire breaks out in Christina Sutherland's apartment building, the first suspect is her ex-boyfriend and father of her children. But this ironclad alibi led authorities to an unlikely suspect in a case that took a decade to resolve. Hi, I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week, we have an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, which examines crimes committed by those closest to the victim. This week's episode is titled, 10 Years After. This is the Court TV Podcast. We lost five people. They did find evidence which indicates that it was arson. Police were questioning Charles Loeza after witnesses say he threatened to blow up the home. He told me if I loved the kids to get them out of the house, he was gonna burn it up. He had an ironclad alibi. There was no way that he could have been the person who committed this crime. I seen a person coming down the stairs. Seems like she had breasts. At first, she swore absolutely no involvement in the fire. She was obviously mentally challenged. Common-law spouses Charles Loeza and Christina Sutherland had a contentious relationship that continued long after they separated. Their issues included threats Charles had made and a restraining order preventing him from seeing their two children. That caused friction with Charles' mother, Kathleen Hilton. On February 24, 1999, the threats seemed to turn into more when a fiery inferno took the lives of five people. Charles and Christina were in a very complicated relationship. They were split up, they had two children together, and Christina was not allowing him to see the children. Kathleen was not happy about this situation. She was very upset for Charles and for the kids, and Kathleen wanted to do anything she could to see her son happy. Mrs. Hilton had a very unfortunate life. She was very intellectually challenged, and she suffered from delusions and hallucinations. It was clear that she had she had some serious uh, psychological, psychiatric issues. And Christina Sutherland got custody of the, their two children. She filed for a restraining order against Charles, and tension was very high between the two of them. Charles actually called Christina and said, since he was not allowed to see the kids, that she needed to get them out of the building because he was going to burn it down. A few hours later, that actually happened. Yes, I know. I go over there at 10 o'clock, and the house is still perfect. Then when I come in back, fire. The fire, I believe, was around midnight. I got called, and I don't remember if I got the word fatalities yet, but I clearly knew that there were some missing people. And so you're getting ready for work, and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, I hope the people got out of the building and they're with family members and we don't really have fatalities. When the fire started, it spread very quickly. The first floor family were able to walk out the door. Christina and her two children 
lived on the second floor, and she actually had to throw her kids out the window to a neighbor who caught them to, to lead them to safety. Christina jumped out the window by herself. That was the only way she could save her own life. Unfortunately, there was a family on the third floor that was not so lucky, and two parents, their daughters, and their niece all died in the fire. Mourners gathered in Lynn to say goodbye to five people killed in last week's deadly fire. We lost five people. Children really um, adds a different, I guess, uh, stress to the, to the investigation. And those little ones didn't do anything that would have had someone angry with them to go, to go set a fire if it was a set fire or anything. They, they weren't involved in any kind of conflict. They're just victims of some horrible, horrible event. When investigators looked over the scene, they found that the fire probably started on the backside of the building near the second floor. We had a team of seven other investigators and myself. I was a sergeant in charge of that, that group. Investigators traced the fire back to this front porch. We can't explain how fire damage would have been on the front porch of this building um, if the fire wasn't set there. There wasn't a couch, there wasn't some other trash or something that would have gotten going and made these patterns. They did find evidence that there was flammable liquid on the porch, which indicates that it was arson, not an accidental fire likely. Originally, police were questioning Hilton's son, Charles Loeza, after witnesses say he threatened to blow up the home where his ex-girlfriend also lived. When investigators looked over the scene, their first suspicion was that Charles was involved in this due to the threat he made earlier in the evening. They started looking into him immediately. They interviewed Kathleen about Charles. They went to her house at least twice looking for her son because they thought that her son was the one who set the fire. And then they went and checked his work records and found that he had an ironclad alibi. He was at work the time the fire was set. There was no way that he could have been the person who committed this crime. There were witnesses and neighbors that said they did see someone that met Kathleen's description walking around outside the apartment around the time that the fire was set. And she lived in walking distance of Christina's apartment. And they brought her down to the police station into the detective's room. The interrogations began to focus on her and not her son. And the questions began to become more accusatory uh, and more probing of her involvement in the fire. At first, she uh, swore absolutely no involvement in the fire. She was very close to Charles and she wanted to do anything that would make him happy, which in this case was seeing his kids. She believed that if Christina did not have a place to live, she would be forced to move back in with Charles, and then they would be a family again, and he would get to spend time with his children. The statement that she gave was that by using, quote-unquote, magic oils that she took and poured uh, around the landing of the first floor of that, of that house and uh, threw a book of matches on top of it. And that's how she said she set the fire. Ms. Hilton was diagnosed with a psychotic disorder and a personality disorder. She talked about 
having a vision that she was going to be acquitted of this crime. She also made an incriminatory statement to a court officer. She said, my son, he'll never forgive me. Two days after the fire at Christina Sutherland's house, Kathleen Hilton is arrested and charged with five counts of murder and arson. It was clear from the start that Kathleen was a fragile and emotionally damaged person. The question would soon be asked, although she confessed to the crime, did Kathleen Hilton know the difference between fantasy and reality? Kathleen had a history of mental illness. She had been institutionalized previously. She had interviews where she talked about seeing visions. She talked about seeing auras around people. She had her own issues that were quite widely known around the community and around her family. 52-year-old Kathleen Hilton was in court after being arrested on charges of murder and arson. When I first met Mrs. Hilton, it was in the lockup in the basement of the Lynn District Court. I introduced myself and I said, I'm your lawyer. And she said, they told me you were coming. And I said, who is they? She gave me the names of Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, Pocahontas. They formed a, an advisory council to her and they would appear to her uh, physically. Ms. Hilton uh, was diagnosed with a psychotic disorder and a personality disorder. They're not actively psychotic, but they're just seen as odd or strange. They may think that certain messages in the world are met for them. So this would have been the type of woman that she would have been. Most likely, not a lot of friends, staying in her home a lot, probably needing some help to get by in life in some fashion. She said, you look like a healer. And I said, oh, thank you. And she said, I said, how do you know that? And she said, because you have an aura around you. I said, an aura? And she said, yes. As a lawyer who had handled many, many cases of people uh, intellectually challenged, it was clear to me that she had, uh, she had some serious uh, psychological, psychiatric issues. She was obviously mentally challenged. Dr. Fife and myself, are here to do a psychiatric examination of you. Can you just even rephrase that back to me, even if it seems so obvious, so that I make sure you understand? You're here, um, from what I understood from Michael and stuff, that you were here to help me. Um, and, um, let me know what is happening, because I have no idea. Kathleen was interviewed by a psychologist. She talked about having a vision that she was going to be acquitted of this crime. And they pretty quickly realized that she was not in a place mentally to be able to give these confessions that she gave and then be reliable. A heart doctor checks out your heart. And a lung doctor checks out your lungs. Okay. And a psychiatrist Try to figure out what you're thinking and how you're feeling. That's what I can't even figure it out, and it's on me, so <laughs> you can't get it. So can you tell me, just in your own words, what a psychiatric exam is, what all that we're going to do? You're going to help figure out what goes on upstairs. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's good. Um, and the reason why we're doing this 
is that there was a court order, a judge order. So it goes beyond just showing that somebody has mental health issues. You have to prove that they are incompetent to be able to actually commit the crime and know the consequences of what they did. Her defense attorney knew that he had a case to be made, that she was not in a mental state to be able to commit this crime. Well, we're here to do a psychiatric exam, and there's a concern that um, that, that mental disease could have affected you at the time of the crime, alleged, the alleged crime, at the time of the fire. Your attorney and you have told the court that you want to defend yourself by saying that I just want them to know the truth, and I didn't do it. I would not. It's common sense tells you, you've got grandchildren, you love dealing. I don't even know where they are. I've got three, I don't know where they are. I don't know where my son is. And it hurt. And I would never, ever endanger my kids. I love them too much. She also made uh, an, an incriminatory statement to a court officer as she was being brought from one area of the courthouse to the other, unprovoked. She said to the court officer, uh, he'll never forgive me. And the court officer said, what? And she said, my son, he'll never forgive me. When asked to repeat that, Kathleen said, I hope he forgives me. I hope my son forgives me. I could have killed his children. And then the court officer asked her some additional questions, uh, and she answered them. And they were all incriminating, um, similar, but not the same as the ones that she had given to the police. So those were a problem also. This is another confession. The first was under interrogation from authorities, and this is seemingly a confession of her own free will to somebody who wasn't asking her anything. So this really gives a lot of strength to the prosecution when they're sharing her ability to confess in multiple venues. Based on Ms. Hilton's history, her everyday level of functioning, there appears to have been sufficient evidence to have raised questions about the stability of her mental status. Now, the extent to which those things were impacting her ability to understand her Miranda rights or to be competent to stand trial, that's a question of judgment. Sometimes when people are accused of crimes, they start seeing things or they start uh, having mental episodes in hopes of using that as a defense, but this was consistent with her previous behavior. Kathleen's defense felt pretty strongly that she should not be able to stand trial in her mental state. She couldn't understand the nature of the proceedings against her, and I doubted that she could assist me in the preparation of her own defense. If we're talking about the motion to suppress, the grounds generally would be that her statements were not the product of a free will and rational intellect. They were bursting. They know my son worked that he, he was working, so now they're coming out. Kathleen Hilton had confessed to setting the fire at her grandchildren's home, but there were questions about her mental capacity to understand the interview she gave to police and her ability to defend herself in a court of law. Her attorney began the long journey to have her statements thrown out. 
Kathleen was not allowed to get out of jail. No bail was set for her. She was receiving uh, mental health support while she was in prison, but this also allowed the defense to continue to have her monitored and to continue to build a case for her mental instability. The case was built in the first instance around an effort to suppress the statements that she made. Suppress means uh, have a judge throw them out. These kinds of cases evolve very slowly. Uh, and this case evolved slowly uh, in, in the same way as uh, any of the others might. If we're talking about the motion to suppress, the grounds generally would be uh, either that the defendant's Miranda rights were not honored, which was not the claim here, but rather that uh, her mental state was such uh, that her statements were not the product of a free will and rational intellect. In Massachusetts, we call that they were not voluntary in nature. During her uh, interrogation with the police, uh, she didn't really spend a lot of time describing her feelings or her thoughts. She was mostly just answering direct questions. That sometimes can be an indication of a person with rather limited cognitive skills. So when you put that together with the possibility that she has schizophrenia or personality disorder, you have a person that's probably having difficulty engaging the world in a reality-based manner. The strategy uh, was to try to knock out uh, her statements that uh, she did not understand uh, her Miranda warnings and she did not voluntarily give up her rights and make uh, incriminatory statements. It took more than a year for us to complete the evidence on the motion to suppress. This case got stuck in court for 10 years before ever going to trial. The ruling was changed time and time again about what would and would not be allowed in this trial. Kathleen spent that entire 10 years in prison. Mrs. Hilton was locked up that whole time without bail. However, Mrs. Hilton was marginally a street person. Quite frankly, I made a moral judgment, I suppose, that she was better off there uh, with a roof over her head, with three hot meals a day, and a place to sleep, uh, as opposed to living on the streets of Lynn. During that decade when she was being held before the trial, there appeared to be a significant amount of information related to whether or not she was always in touch with reality and that this may have had some kind of impact on her statements at a given time. The real question was, when was she actually in custody? Um, when was she read her rights? The legal questions kept this case going for 10 years. The issues regarding Mrs. Hilton's mental condition were actually twofold. Uh, there was one, her competence to stand trial, uh, and, and two, the, her, her mental status. This was never, ever, ever a case that I was going to defend on the grounds of the insanity defense. Um, this gentleman's been asking to sign a piece of paper saying that it's okay to use the video. Just sign here, just sign that you're giving that permission to the video. Well, she signs the paper without even attempting to read it. What I'm doing here is to help your attorney see if you're competent to stand trial. The other piece is whether at the time of the crime that you've been accused of, setting fire to the building where some people died, 
whether uh, you were responsible for your behavior. If you can, repeat back to me the two reasons that I'm here. In cases where there is some mental aspect to the defense, we are entitled to hire experts and examine the defendant. I went to the Taunton State Hospital with uh, a psychiatrist and uh, for him to examine her. And she had a very, very, very difficult time parroting back to him some very simple legal concepts that he had to get across to her before he could even interview her. They were trying to, they were first trying to nail my son for the fact that he was working, so now they're coming at me. Uh, doctors, there's something in, in this part of the video uh, we've just seen it contributed uh, to your diagnosis of Mrs. Hilton. Yes. She didn't know who you were, and you had met her previously. She wasn't clear who you were. And she asserts that uh, she didn't do, she didn't start a fire. She, she's innocent. Why was that of significance to you uh, with, with um, reference to the, to the criminal responsibility issue? In a criminal responsibility evaluation, uh, the the fact of the person's physical actions are not in dispute. Only whether they were legally responsible because they were so impaired by mental illness. It was unclear to me that she understood the questions that were being asked of her and that she understood the nature of how those questions ought to have been answered. And then if one were to contrast her capacities here with what one's capacities would be in an adversarial interrogation. It's hard to uh, uh, imagine, extrapolate, that she could learn some of the rights that go with an adversarial interrogation and with, with individuals who have a big power differential with her. She can't do it. The judge decided that the confession and statements made to police in the interrogation would be admissible, but the comment made to the court official about hoping her son forgives her for putting his kids in danger was not going to be allowed in court. Ultimately, Mrs. Hilton uh, was found competent to stand trial, and it became time to try the case. When that defense attorney gets up, if they're worth the assault, they have found a couple ways to really poke holes in what you've done. When you hear all the evidence that will be presented to you in this trial, you will be compelled to arrive at only one conclusion. I was stunned when, when he said that his defense was she didn't do it. Ten years after confessing to starting a fatal fire, Kathleen Hilton's trial for murder and arson begins in an Essex County courthouse. Prosecutors have a very strong case against Hilton, but her defense plans to fiercely attack the investigation that they claim was flawed from the start. In approximately five minutes before 11 p.m. on February 24, 1999, the first 911 call about a fire came into the 911 center in Lynn. 
The next piece of the case involves the police investigation. They go to the defendant's house and ask the defendant to come with them. They read her the Miranda warning. She told the police she was mad because she didn't think what Christina was doing was fair. She told them she used a lit cigarette. She said she used special oils she didn't know were flammable. She said she threw it by the stairs. She told them that she wanted Charlie and Christina to get back together. She thought that if Christina didn't have a place to stay, she'd come back, she'd come back to Charlie. My defense was built around two things, getting the jury to believe that whatever statements she gave to the police, she just did not set the fire, that it was a shoddy fire investigation, and that the uh, police went into that um, investigation with their minds already made up. What happened on the night of February 24th, 1999, was a tragedy. Five people, including three little girls, were killed in a fire that tore through their home. But this woman, Kathleen Hilton, members of the jury, is not guilty. When you hear all the evidence that will be presented to you in this trial, you will be compelled to arrive at only one conclusion, that Kathleen Hilton did not commit these crimes. When Mike Natolo said she didn't do it, and my jaw almost dropped because I thought with a confession uh, that he would have to go with some kind of uh, psychiatric defense. Uh, and I was stunned when, when he said that his defense was she didn't do it. What do you recall happening? Just walked out on the front porch, and the building next door was off the flames. And just tried to do what we could do to help the people. Um, we started throwing bricks at the windows, um, screaming, kicking doors in, helping people jump out windows. A young lady, the woman on the second floor, stuck her head out the window. And she said she has kids out here. The first baby she, she dropped out the window, she dropped head first. But I, I caught the baby on the third floor. I could hear people. She was just saying, help, help us, help us. I was choking, gagging. All of a sudden, the noise just stopped. What did Charles say? He wanted to see his son. His birthday was, um, Charles's birthday was two days previous. And I told him, no, there was a restraining order. He told me if I loved the kids to get them out of the house, he was going to blow it up or burn it up, something along those lines. I hung up on him. Where were you when you became aware of the fire? I just walked out of my bedroom. I remember everything getting black really fast. And grabbing my kids, and we tried to go to the back. Did you hear what they were screaming? Ayúdame. They were saying, help me in Spanish. And who were they? Um, Herberto, Sonia, um, Maria, her little Sonia, and um, Denise Glorimar. She used to come by a lot to play with the girls. Do you remember speaking to the police officer? Yes. Do you remember what you told him? I think I told him that Charlie had called and told me he was going to burn the house down. Fire grows up and out. What we've learned to do in um, assessing fire damage is you start with the least amount of damage and you work into where the most amount of damage is. And you, when you get in that area, you eliminate accidental scenarios. 
Is there anything else significant to you in light of your training and experience as a fire investigator with regard to Exhibit 79? The significance to me is the substantial charring. It almost forms a pattern. Well, that's important to us because an ignitable liquid, if that's used in a fire, it will often pool in these little areas, just as water would. It's an adversarial system. And when that defense attorney gets up, if they're worth the assault, they have found a couple ways to really poke holes in what you've done and um, try to create doubt for that jury in however they do it. And that's just, that's just the nature of the beast is that you're going to get beat up on the stand and you're going to be good with it. It's accurate to say, is it not, sir, that irregular patterns on floors cannot always be reliably identified as resulting from ignitable liquids on the basis of observation alone. There are other reasons for patterns on floors, correct. And is it your testimony that the lab failed to detect accelerants in the samples that you took from the floor? Yes. Okay. And you did not include that in your report, in your CNO report, did you? No, I did not. I know that Kevin Condon didn't make any mistakes on that investigation, but it's Natola's job to just create that doubt and, and blame it on either that you got the wrong cause or the wrong person. At some point after you saw uh, Kathleen Hilton on the 25th of February at 5 o'clock, did you have occasion to uh, see her again? Yes, I did. Where was it that you, that you next saw her? It was also at the Lynn Police Detective Office. And had the focus of your investigation shifted um, by the 27th of February, about 1.30 or 1.45 that afternoon. Yes, it had. It had changed the focus from the night of the fire, where we were interested in locating Charlie Loyaza based on information we had received. The prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant's statement was voluntary before it can be admitted uh, and heard by the jury. Um, and what did, he, what did he do? What did he say at that point? He explained to Kathleen that uh, we were continuing to interview people who may be helpful in determining what had happened. And we were interviewing people for a second or third time in some cases, which is why she was brought back to the station or asked to come back to the station. Uh, did he advise her of her Miranda rights? Yes, he did. If someone's wearing a badge, that usually carries a lot of weight. That's usually a pretty strong piece of evidence that the jury has trouble dismissing. You have to prove that Kathleen was unable to commit this crime and should not be held accountable, even if she did. I stopped at the interception, and I noticed somebody going up the stairs. It's the house that got on fire. He seemed to be a key witness for the prosecution because he said he could put Kathleen at the scene of the crime. In spite of Kathleen Hilton's confession and a multi-agency investigation into the fire, defense attorney Michael Natola hammered away at the state's case against her. He contended that his client's interview with investigators was improper, and when they realized her son, Charles Loeza, had an alibi, that they made a rush to judgment against Kathleen Hilton. Again, I recall Sergeant Cronin instructing her as to where we were at that point. There was a statement made to her at some point that we know Charlie didn't do it. We knew Charlie didn't do it. We had established that based on other interviews. When she's talking about Charlie and Christina, did her demeanor change in any way? Yes. In what way? 
when uh, Christina, the name of Christina came up or the relationship, she would become more animated, uh, almost to the point of being angry. What did Kathleen Hilton say? What was the first thing she said? In response to, to something that we had said, my, she responded, my babies have been hurt enough. My son will never forgive me. He'll kill me. He'll hate me. I had some special oils. I lit it. I didn't know how flammable the stuff was. I walked home. I wish I were dead. I got worried about the babies. I wanted Charlie and Christina to get back together. I thought if Christina didn't have a place to stay, she'd come back to Charlie. Following your interview with Miss um, Hilton, did you was she placed under arrest? Yes. Charles ended up taking Stan in the trial to defend his mother, and he was anything but the perfect witness. While Charles did say that his mother did not commit this crime, he was very gruff and defensive on the stand. Did you recall whether you made any changes to your statement? Yes, ma'am. I admitted to making a um, phone call to her the night before. Do you remember what you said to her? Yes, ma'am. What did you say to her? When you said to her? Her being Christina, right? Is yes. Christina? Do you remember what you said to her that night? Um, yes, miss. What was that? A few weeks before, she had promised me to see my children. I was just calling to see why I didn't see my children on my birthday. Mrs. Hilton's son, Charlie's testimony, generally it was a denial, uh, which is what I expected. But he and I, uh, he and I clashed. You called her on the 23rd? Yes, sir. So you admit that you called her at 9 o'clock on the night of the fire, right? Yes, sir. And uh, uh, you had an argument with her at that time, didn't you? We, yeah, we argued about seeing the children. Right, and you told her at that time to get the kids out of the house that, uh, uh, that you were going to burn the place down, right? No, sir, that's incorrect. He was very defensive on the stand and created quite the scene, even with her defense attorney. You really, you're having a good time, aren't you? No, sir, I'm trying to answer the questions as honest as I can. When you ask really? questions that are out of context, I'm trying to explain uh, the context, out of context. of the situation. Well, how is it out of context that you lied to the police about calling Christina at 9 o'clock the night before, uh, uh, the night that, that, that her house burned down? Because I wasn't aware that there was a fire that night, sir. After they asked me to take my whole statement, then they said well, there was a fire last night at your children's house. You finished? Yes, I'm answering your question. When Jesus Marquez was on the stand, he seemed to be a key witness for the prosecution because he said he could put Kathleen at the scene of the crime. I stopped at the interception and I noticed somebody going up the stairs. The house that got on fire. Do you recall today what the person was wearing that you saw going up the stairs? Some type of hoodie okay. with a jacket. And do you recall if there was a reason why you stopped your vehicle at that point? I saw um, a person up on the porch doing some type of um, hand gestures. And then I saw a bright flash, like lightning. And that's when I noticed it was a fire. I seen a person yeah. coming down the stairs. And why do you think it was a lady? Because when she was walking down the stairs, it seemed like she had breasts. Breasts? Yeah. All right. I, see, I know it was white, and it was a female. I had to deconstruct his testimony. And the way that I did it was to attempt to show to the jury how preposterous his testimony was. You could tell that this person on the porch was a woman because you saw that she had breasts. Yes, I said that 
when she came down the stairs, that's when I noticed breasts. Okay. Now, you never gave a statement to the police uh, about uh, what you claim you saw uh, in February of, of uh, 1999 until December the 5th of 2008. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, and you were in the Boston area uh, the entire time. Yes. So this is the very first time right now since February 24th, 1999, that you've ever told anybody that you saw somebody make motions like they were spreading something on the porch. Isn't that correct? Yes or no? Yes. And you didn't tell the police for nearly 10 years? Nobody asked me. In just a short while, 12 of you will gather together in private, in secret, to decide whether the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Kathleen Hilton killed those five people. The death of the five people up on High Rock Street was a tragedy. But convicting the wrong person of that crime will not bring those people back, and it will not bring closure to anything. There is overwhelming reasonable doubt in this case and that reasonable doubt requires you to return verdicts of not guilty because Kathleen Hilton is indeed not guilty. In the end, members of the jury, I'd suggest to you that the defendant confessed because she knew that she had set the fire. She knew that her son had not. There is nothing here that suggests she was coerced in any way or that she was psychotic at the time she confessed. I ask that you find her guilty. When the jury went out to deliberate, I really had no idea uh, how they might come in. However, I knew that I had a very, very good case to try on the facts. And I knew that I had left everything that I had in me in that courtroom. I gave it my all and then some. When the verdict slip is handed to the judge, it is probably the most dramatic point in the trial. Charge defendant Kathleen Hilton with murder in the second degree. How do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? Ten years after she was arrested and charged with second-degree murder and arson, Kathleen Hilton's trial finally reached a verdict. Her defense had presented a strong case that the defendant didn't agree to the police interview of her own free will and was wrongfully charged because of her mental illness. Whether or not that had influenced the jury was about to be revealed. When the verdict slip is handed to the, to the judge, it is probably the most dramatic point in the trial from the judge's point of view, uh, because generally we didn't know what the verdict was, but you don't never believe until you see it anyway. Charge defendant Kathleen Hilton with murder in the second degree of Maria Feliciano. How do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. The full person said not guilty, and I actually, felt tears welling up in my eyes, and I knew that one not guilty meant seven not guilties. Charge defendant Kathleen Hilton with second degree murder of Gloria Santiago. How do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. 
court has recorded you upon your oath to say the defendant is not guilty of all seven indictments. So say you, Madam Foreperson. Yes. 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 They found Kathleen Hilton not guilty of five counts of second-degree murder and arson. What really changed the scope of this trial was the introduction of Kathleen being interviewed by a psychologist. That really enabled the jury to see that she was not able to give these confessions with a sound mind. No, I don't believe they got it right. We didn't get the wrong person on that case. Based on, based on the quality of the investigators I have worked with over the years, they didn't get it wrong. Um, what I would say is um, that in some way, shape, or form, Natola was able to create doubt in at least one juror's mind. I'm not sure what convinced the jury to bring back a verdict of not guilty, but certainly Ms. Hilton's clinical presentation was impaired enough that it would have led to her making statements that were in fact not true, and it may have been the basis of a delusional belief. The attorney convinced that jury that that was the case. I wasn't shocked, uh, given the way the case had progressed, but I did think to myself, wow, uh, straight out not guilty on a murder. I haven't seen that before. I did bump into Mike in the elevator, and I, I, I said, Mike, this is your finest hour, and it really was. It was masterful. I believed that Mrs. Hilton had nothing to do with setting that fire. She gave a confession to protect her son. I believed that the facts that existed did not fit the story she gave, and I thought that I was not going to be able to live with myself if this woman was found guilty and sentenced to prison for life. Mental health competency is a very complex issue in our judicial system. With mental health being in the public eye, we have more and more individuals that are opening up about their mental health. And at some point, jury members are going to be able to more readily identify with potential perpetrators that do suffer from mental illnesses. I've come to learn that there are a lot of factors that drive a person's behavior, uh, and a lot of it involves mental illness or even intellectual uh, limitations. Um, and I think we're too ready to just assign evil to perpetrators. I don't think that there's that much need for reform of the court system to deal with it. We should be addressing behavioral issues before they rise to the level of crime. The jury came to a decision, no indication of impropriety on either side. This is our judicial system. It may not give us the decision individually we might like, but it was based on two sides presenting their cases, equal opportunity to the same evidence, and a jury making a decision. So in that case, justice was served. She walked out of the courthouse that day, a free woman, completely free. I have encountered her twice, both times on the streets of Salem, and both times I had to uh, go up to her and say, hi, Kathy, do you remember me? There she was walking around the streets. It appeared to me that she was living the same kind of life as she lived prior to being incarcerated. Kathleen Hilton still lives in the Lynn, Massachusetts area where the 1999 arson fire took the lives of two adults and three children. 
Her case raised awareness about mental illness and how the justice system deals with those that are impaired. Yet, we're still reminded that an entire family was